Welcome in, welcome to another edition of the Joshua Perry Show. I am not Dave Biddle, but you know that Dave is on a much-deserved vacation. But we are here with the Buckeye local standout, pro football extraordinaire, Joshua Perry. Joshua, how's Monday treating you? Man, it's a Monday. I'm ready to rock and roll. Had a very eventful weekend. I just wanted to hit real quick second and seven this year celebrating 20 years of what they've been doing in the community with reading to youngsters and getting athletes involved um and so they had a gala this weekend to celebrate that and also to raise some funds but it was really cool to see how they started and it was really um you know ryan miller luke fickle and mike brable hosting a, a football camp you know charging a little bit of a door fee and then going out and buying uh books for seven second grade classes so uh, it evolved from that those guys have been doing some fantastic work. They're in 26 states right now. Um, they've involved universities, high schools, pro teams. So it's really awesome. I'm a part of what they do as well, um, kind of on a behind-the-scenes fashion. So just being able to celebrate those guys and then a shameless plug here, um, you know, my real estate business is starting to take off. Put a, a, a property on the market on Friday, had an offer come in Saturday, and then we uh, we signed the contract on Sunday. So, uh, things are heating up. If anybody in central Ohio is looking for anything, go ahead and holler at your boy. And, Joshua, despite your busy weekend, you still found time to seek out Shelly Meyer for a spinning class. Explain, please. It was awesome. So I'm very proud to say that um, I know Maria Durant, who works for ABC6, and she's going through a cancer battle again. So uh, she just had surgery. Pelotonia's coming up and. Uh, they have a team that, that rides. And so they were doing a fundraiser over at Premier on Sawmill Athletic Club. Uh, Shelly Meyer was hosting the class, and I went ahead and hopped on. Me and my girlfriend went down there. And uh, I'll tell you, Urban was a tough coach, but, you know, Shelly would give him a run for his money the way that he was, uh, the way she was, she was uh, coaching that class. But it was a ton of fun. Obviously, another great cause that we're supporting. So I was glad to be able to hop out there for that one, too. And just another example, I think, the beginning of the show here, to let everyone know the charitable exploits of, of Buckeyes once and former is really one of the things that makes Columbus a special place. And you even talked about how they've expanded it out to many more states. So there's ways for people to get involved, and the Buckeyes have a ton of great charities. It doesn't take too long to figure out how to donate. So if you've got a little extra scratch, definitely be thinking about passing it along. I'll jump in real quick on that on that tip. Um there are so many great ways to support different causes here, especially in central Ohio, because it's such a, a great big city. So I'm very passionate about that. I know a lot of people are looking for ways to get involved. And uh, I'll say this, if you feel like you don't want to dedicate your money to a certain cause yet, go ahead and dedicate your time. Because I know a lot of great charities that are looking for people who are willing to support what they're doing by giving their time and spending time working on their causes, whether it's children, whether it's sick people, whether it's animals. So, you know, go ahead and take that first dive in this summer, and, and you'll definitely appreciate what you get out of it. For those people who have made it, time is more valuable than money. Donation of your time can also be special, like Joshua said. And if you've got a chance to do that, please dedicate. Let's talk about another dedicated group, the Ohio State Players. This is an interesting time because it's a dead period. We're going to get to what the coaches do during this time. But what Joshua want to talk about today is what does a player do during the dead period? How much oversight is there? Uh, what's a day in the life like, Joshua? Take us through, you know, when the coaches kind of turn it over to the players. 
Yeah, so it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of things happen during the summer. Um, it's it's really the players' time to try to develop the culture of the team. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of one of those, is it coach speak, is it real? But, you know, coaches are there. They're allowed to, uh, you know, they're allowed to, to view what's going on. They're allowed to be involved. But there's there's a minimal amount of coaching that goes on. It's up to leaders that you have on your team. And if you don't have leaders, it's up to them, the players to develop who's going to be a part of the leadership. So, for those guys, it's it's a little bit different from that regard. It's it's where you separate where great teams are because you know if 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 a team doesn't have great leaders, they don't have disciplined, motivated players, or if they have a culture issue going on where they don't really give a damn if they're winning games or not. This is the time of the year where guys slack off. They don't go very hard in the weight room. They you know you spend two hours at the facility a day. You don't watch any tape. You go out and you party and you know you go to the clubs and do whatever. And I'm not saying guys can't do that because, obviously, it's summertime. Enjoy your summer. But, you know, when you're done with workouts, you go and watch tape if you're a good team. You go and spend time in the training room if you're a good team. So um, I think it's really important there. And then when you look at what's happening right now where, uh, you know, coaches have to back off on recruiting a little bit, players' time truly does free up because when you have visits, guys coming on campus, you have coaches out there on the road recruiting, a big part of recruiting is the player involvement. You know, Luke Fickle was, I think, um, really tuned into that where he wanted us to spend as much time as possible with the guys he was recruiting to see if they were a culture fit, if they fit into the room and the personalities. And so the good thing about that was we got to know all the guys before they came in. bad thing about that was we had to spend time with guys who we didn't know if they were going to be a fit, if they were going to commit. And, you know, some of our free time during the summer was spent, you know, making sure these guys were having a fun campus tour, whatever the case is. So um, for this time, for players, it's truly about developing themselves as a team. You know, it was always symbolic for Mickey Marotti when Urban was the head coach. He would he would give Urban uh, a manila envelope at the first meeting before training camp, and that was him turning over the team. And he always says, sealed in this envelope are the guys who, you know, they, they took that step and they became a part of the team this, this summer, and there's still time if your name's not in there. And they made a whole big deal about it, but it, it, it truly is a big deal. Because if if you spent, what, two and a half, three months of the summer, you know, just piddling around, you don't get to that season. Somebody's going to smack you in the mouth and it doesn't feel very good. When you look back on the championship season and look back at all the off seasons you went through, was there something special about that off season that you can look back on now that transferred into a, a kind of a championship theme for that group? Yeah, I mean, that off season was literally about getting the shit kicked out of us um, because we had gone 12 and 0 the first year, Urban didn't like the team then, but it was a good year, so he kicked the piss out of us during that off season. Then we won another 12 straight, and then we lost two in a row. And Urban was like, "We are not nearly as good as we think we are. We don't have the right group of players in here. We don't have the toughness, the leadership, etc." And so it was all pressure all the time. And we were feeling pretty good, to be honest. And then Braxton got hurt throwing just like a little swing pass to the flat during a training camp practice, and that took the air out of everything. And so we had to roll with JT, and, um, you know, we, we thought JT was – he was all right, but he wasn't Braxton. He wasn't that playmaker. And so that was – I can remember vividly where we went into the room as a defense, and we had a conversation about, hey, you know, a lot of the year games might be won by how the defense performs. And that was coming off of 2013, if anybody remembers that defense. 
Um, talk about this one from this past season being historically bad. That was another one of those defenses where statistically we were not very good at all. And, you know, Bradley Roby didn't want to play in the final game. And I can remember against Clemson, Ryan Shazier getting trucked by Sammy Watkins and getting carried for 10 yards. Like, you know, just uncharacteristic things that happen because I feel like a lack of, of leadership and, and a lack of confidence overall. So um, we made a decision as a defense that we hadn't changed. We went in as a linebacker room and said, all right, that's it. If the defense is going to be great, where does it start? Heart and soul of the defense, the true leaders, the linebackers, the guys who make calls. We got to run and make tackles. We got to be motivators. So I think we kind of had to hunker down and had, you know, we had no idea what to expect coming out the gate. But I feel like that was pivotal for us is all of the transition and change and the things that happened during that offseason. Yeah, and we all know how that season ended up quite glorious. Some of the guys think, and let me tell you something, there's a lot of belief that this season could be equally glorious, and a big reason for that is the arrival of Justin Fields. And I know transfers have become the norm. They're no longer a variable. But the amount of transfers and the guys getting eligible as quickly as they have, I mean, Justin Fields is is the quarterback at Ohio State. Tate Martell steps in at Miami, can play right away. For example, Blue Smith, Ohio State to Cincinnati, eligible right away. There's been some discussion of tightening of the rules. I don't think the average fan knows that both schools participate in this. For example, Georgia had to sign off on Justin Fields being eligible. Ohio State had to sign off on Tate Martell being eligible. What's your view of the process? Give us the former player's perspective. Yeah, I think it's restrictive enough because both schools have to sign off. So um, first off, if you have a vindictive school that feels like they're losing a player that they shouldn't be losing or, you know, if it was sour grapes for whatever situation went on, they could easily just sit there and, you know, they could just sit on their hands and hinder a player's process. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a whole review and litigation process. Um, so if, if a school is bitter, they could block it. If a school has a compliance department that's not worth a shit, then it's going to be tough to make it happen. So, you know, hypothetically in the case of, Georgia and Ohio State with Justin Fields, if Georgia had a compliance department that had no idea what they were doing, they weren't good at their jobs, there's a very strong likelihood that Justin Fields would not be eligible this year. So there there had to be a, a level of cooperation, and there had to be some, some good legal compliance work that went on on Georgia's behalf for Ohio State to even have this be in play. But on the flip side of that, Ohio State had to know what the hell they were doing too and how they were going to approach it. So I think it's really interesting. Um, A lot of people don't understand that the the schools have to work together. You know, Tate Martell leaves, and Ohio State does everything in their power to make sure that he's able to go. That's a school that they're probably not going to compete with unless it's a, you know, a bowl game, a playoff situation. Um, you, You don't feel like they're a threat to beat you in any one of those scenarios anyway. So you, you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that a kid has an opportunity to go play um, as soon as possible and have as enjoyable of a, as a career as possible. You know, they had no sour grace against Tate. He's a great player, just wasn't going to be his deal here. And I think everybody came to that realization. Um, so for me, I think anything that makes it harder for these guys to 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 transfer really only makes it tough on – Number one, schools that have great compliance departments that work together and advocate on behalf of their players and their players that are transferring. And then number two, it just makes it hard on players. Um, but 
it was interesting. I was in the Uber um, on Saturday, and I was having a conversation with the Uber driver, and um, he made the statement that he thinks that guy should have to sit out. Um, in particular, um, you know, he was talking about Tate Martell, but he also said about the Tate Martell situation that he thought it was bad on Ryan Day for not letting him compete throughout the spring, for not making him the starter and letting him compete. And I was like, well, why do you think that? And he's like, well, the guy put in his time and you would have thought that he earned it. And it brings up a really interesting conversation because to a certain point, I think, and more especially for fans, that he earned it aspect of putting his time, he worked hard, he, he took the long road, did the scout team. Sounds like a reason to give a guy an opportunity to start. But from a player perspective, if you're in the locker room and you know without even watching Justin Fields go out and practice that he is absolutely the better player for your coach and especially a new head coach to sit there and let a guy who's not as good compete and, and waste your time almost like that, um, it's, it's tough. It's tough to earn the respect. If you're a coach and you go in and you're completely honest with the guy and you're completely honest with the guy coming in, I think the players – that you're you're trying to earn the trust of really respect that because they know that you're not playing games and you're going to be straight up. So um, this transfer thing is super interesting to me because there's, you know, the NCAA side of it and all the rules, but there's also the in-house, in-program side. You know, how does this affect your culture? How are you building a team? And how does everybody respond to it in the locker room? I think you hit on a great point there. First of all, you used the word advocate earlier on. Programs yeah. that are advocates for their players are the ones that are successful, and the ones that aren't are the ones that aren't successful, the way I look at it. It's a pretty simple way to go about it. Uh, on another note, the players know. You can't fool the players. We don't get to see no. practice. We don't get to see them leadership-wise. Tate Martell would not have left Ohio State if he thought he was going to be the quarterback. There's been some discussion in California over changing the rules so that players, college players, will be able to profit off their likeness. This wouldn't be as big a deal to me if it was done in a different state, but California has a ton of athletes in it. What do you make of California being in the group to possibly do this first? And will that mean chaos, or will it mean a chance for guys to make some, some good bread? To me, if I'm the NCAA and you want to tighten up these transfer rules, you know, the whole deal, here is a hell of an opportunity to get ahead of an issue and say, screw it. We are going to rewrite the rule book to say that uh, the NCAA nor any of its member institutions will pay a damn dime to these athletes, but they are able to leverage their name and their likeness to make a little bit of coin. So for you, you get to keep all of your money, all of your money, but the players still get to get a little piece of the pie. And so what California can do is they can apply pressure. Like you said, they are a huge economy. And so imagine even if they don't have teams in the playoff, for example, they're going to have teams that would be bowl eligible that won't be a part of that. They'll have NCAA tournament teams for basketball that won't be a part of it. They'll have teams for baseball won't be a part of it. They're, you know, I, I mean, there, there are so many different sports, so many different teams and universities that would just be able to walk away and take that away from the NCAA, so it applies pressure. But also, it puts you kind of on the cutting edge there. Um, the one issue I see, and people say, well, if we do this, it becomes hard on the on the small schools because their boosters couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. Well, small schools don't have big stadiums like the big schools do. They don't have huge recruiting budgets like the big schools do, uh, do. They don't have big apparel contracts like the big schools do. So it's like – it, it, it doesn't even damn matter. Like, the little schools are out. They're not recruiting the same players anyway. If a kid 
is is deciding between you know Ball State or 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 going to Ohio State. Like I, I you tell me that situation because I'm, I've never heard of it. Those schools don't compete on the same level anyway in recruiting. The one thing I do see is you know getting out of hand now is okay boosters dropping off a hundred fifty thousand dollar check. That's not length, name and likeness. That's that is cheating to me. So I feel like every all the earnings would have to be regulated and reported some type of manner. I feel like you would probably, and this is as much of a player advocate as I am, I feel like you would probably need to cap what a player could earn or what I guess is available to them to use right away. Um, so maybe, hey, you know, if somebody wants to drop a hundred grand, that's cool, but um, you know, you, you're allowed to use X amount of dollars in that or X percentage of dollars in the rest you would have to put away over a, a certain number, over a cap or whatever. So um, it's an interesting scenario to me. It's just kind of mind-boggling that the NCAA is so hell-bent on amateurism where, you know, I've never seen anything that so amateur makes so much money. I've never seen anybody who manages or, or, or develops amateurs make so much money before, um, but they're so hell-bent on this amateurism thing. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. So hopefully this applies a little bit of pressure. Maybe we get some change. Maybe something comes out of it where other states start joining in. But, you know, if we're talking about New Hampshire being the, the one state to, to move along with this type of legislation, we'd all be laughing. But California's doing it, so it is a big deal. This much we know. There is plenty of money to go around here. This is just selfishness on a part of people who have made a lot of money over a long period of time. I don't even think they're going to lose any money on this. There's so much to go around. I mean, it's 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 just funny. Like, the, the thing that you start to see is the explosion of expenses on facilities and the explosion of expenses on recruiting, for example, um, you know, chartering private jets for head coaches to be able to travel around. Um, the expenses that you, you see literally on um, on personnel. And, and not just, you know, the rules have relaxed to where you can have more people working uh, with specific teams, but just the fact that, you know, Dabo's getting damn near $100 million. Why is that? And it's because these schools with these TV contracts and everything else, they make so much money that there is nowhere else to put it. So they put it into facilities and they put it into recruiting budgets and they put it into um, coaching contracts because they can't give it to players. They have to put it somewhere, though. And so to me, that's kind of where – you draw the line, a lot of folks would say, well, I don't think there's enough money. To me, there's plenty of money. Um, it's like anything else. Where, where, are you, where are you allocating your money? But there's plenty of money to go around. And I want to hit on what coaches do during the summer thing real quick. It was really interesting with Urban um, typically, and there's a lot of free time for the coaches during the summer, uh, but typically he was like, get away from the facility for two weeks leading up to training camp, um, get your minds right, et cetera. And I think Ryan Day now is building a little bit. It, we talked about the culture for the players and how, um, you know, he's leading through love. And, he's, it's you know, Urban was more of a, um, if I can't get you to be great, I'll scare you into being great. And Ryan's more of a, we're going to coach you and love you into being great type deal. And so you've seen that change with the players. With the coaches, it's a similar thing, where now they've got a little bit more off time during the summer. I think they got it a couple weeks more. And, you know, people will hear that and be like, oh, my gosh, coaches ain't working. These guys are going to be at work. It's hard to get them to avoid coming into work because they're so passionate about it. And they, they really respect 
you know, Ohio State being high profile and winning games. But one thing I did learn is that during this off time, um, coaches end up going on these retreats and these conferences with their agents and with other coaches and athletic department personnel. And they go and explore other opportunities, whether your position coach looking to be a coordinator, whether you're a coordinator looking to be a head coach, et cetera. Um, this is what they do during the summer in their off time. And I was fully unaware of that up until a couple of weeks ago. So it seems to me with four weeks off, you can coordinate career development opportunities with spending more time with your family. So that builds a, a, a stronger coaching culture with urban it was easy because all of his guys eventually became coordinators or high-profile position coaches, and the opportunity spoke for themselves. You know, Ryan doesn't have that type of clout, but what he's allowing these guys to do is go out there and get face-to-face with people and leverage what they do and what they know with people who can put them in positions to be successful. So um, he's given them plenty of opportunity to grow their careers too. And with, with turnover that eventually happened, that helps attract coaching talent because now guys can say, I'm going to be at a high-profile school, and they're going to let me explore my opportunities. So I think that's really cool. You can put me as one of the people that was a little bit nervous about the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. You can't argue with the results so far. What they've been doing on the recruiting trail shows that they have been able to sell the brand. We will see how it transfers on the field. We appreciate Joshua stopping by. He's here every week. You can't get insight like this anywhere else. Have a good one, Bucknutters. Bye,